Father, thank you for giving us the opportunity to come together and, Lord, to fellowship and to worship, Lord. And we, as always, Lord, we thank you for the, just the simple, pure time of worship. And, Father, Lord, that you're glorified. And, Father, we thank you that, um, that we're able to come together and to love one another and to hear you speak to our hearts, Father. I pray that you would speak to us, Lord, as we open up your word. And, Father, I decrease that you would increase. I am to myself of myself, so fill me with yourself, that everything that I say and do, every thought that enters my mind would be of you and not of me. We praise in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. Turn to Proverbs chapter 14, if you have your Bible or Bible app, Proverbs chapter 14. We're now in part 15 of our series, Wisdom That Works. Say, Wisdom That Works. And before we dive into the text, as always you know, right, I want to do a quick review from last week's text. That was all chapter 13. I gave you five points. And the first point of last week's text was instruction. Say that. And that's in verse 1, that the wise son, that the wise daughter heed their father's instruction, correction, rebuke, and that they would value and pay careful attention to it. And then Solomon says, but a mocker does not listen to rebuke. And we know that the mocker, the scoffer, laughs at knowledge instead of learning from it. The second point was speech. Say that. Speech. And that's in verses 2 through 5, that just as a tree has good fruit, so good words have a good effect. And the bottom line is this, that words receive their just rewards. The third point was ethics and wealth. Say that. Ethics and wealth. That's in verses 6 through 11. And Solomon focuses on integrity. He focuses on the rich and the poor. And that the light of the righteous continues, but the lamp of the wicked is extinguished. He then speaks about pride and how it breeds quarrels. And, and, that's, that, and that wisdom is found in those who take advice. And then he contrasts the wisdom of honest hard work with the falling of dishonest gain. The fourth point was fulfillment. Say that. Fulfillment, verses 12 through 19. And there we see fulfillment through wisdom in contrast with frustration through folly. And the fifth point was consequences. Say that. That's in verses 20 through 25. And we see the consequences of doing good and the consequences of doing evil. This now brings us to today's text, and the title of my message today is Living in Wisdom. Everyone say that. And here we continue to see Solomon's contrast couplets, again, contrasting thoughts that have been linked together with the word but. Say but. Three points from today's text. If you're ready, say yes. Number one is, here we go. Number one is the wise and the foolish. Say that. The wise and the foolish. And we're going to look at verse 1. And Solomon writes, the wise woman builds her house, but, there's a contrast, but with her own hands, the foolish one tears hers down. So the women, especially in those times, were often the one who managed their husband's uh, financial business. And also, here Solomon refers to the woman as a homemaker, say, say a homemaker, which to me is the most difficult job in the world, right? It's a difficult job. And Solomon, what he does here, he presents us with two women. Both women are working on their homes, and the first woman is wise. Say, she's wise. And she carefully builds her house, and, and skillfully she makes a beautiful home for her family. And what she does, she respects, respects her husband, loves her family, looks after them, works hard to help them. She serves God. Say, serves God. 
And by using, here we go, by using wisdom, wisdom with the finances, and by caring for and influencing her children to know God, and by keeping the home orderly, Solomon makes it clear it's wisdom, say wisdom, that enables her household to thrive. She builds a house, a solid house with solid foundation. And then the second woman is foolish. She's pulling down her house instead of serving God and and being careful of the things of God and bringing honor to God, she destroys her own home because she's foolish. And her foolish actions don't help her family. Instead, her foolish actions hurt her family. And what she does, she destroys it herself. Bottom line is this, wisdom is a builder, folly is a destroyer. Wisdom is a builder, folly is a destroyer. Wisdom constructs, folly destructs. You guys with me? The wise and the foolish. Here we go. Verse 2. He whose walk is upright, say upright, fears who? Fears the Lord. I love that, right? Fears the Lord. But he whose ways are devious, in other words, deceitful, dishonest, despises the Lord, despises him. The message renders it like this. An honest life shows respect for God, a degenerate life is a slap in his face. Say, say upright. Th- that word describes ethical conduct that conforms to God's standards and moral character that comes from a right relationship with him and a right relationship with his word. So walking and living that way gives evidence, proof, listen now, that you fear, that you reverence, that you respect God, that you're walking Listen now, walking upright before the Lord. So an upright person follows a path of righteousness and fears God, right? While a devious person, a foolish person, follows a path of sin and despises God. And here's the lesson. You ready for the lesson? Okay, we are known by our fruit. We are known by our fruit. A person's life, listen, friends, a person's lifestyle eventually reveals whether they are righteous or unrighteous whether they are sincerely seeking good and in loving God or is unrighteous and ignores God. Write this down, Matthew chapter 7, verses 17 through 18. Matthew 7, 17 through 18. Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit. Say good fruit. But a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. We are known by our fruit. How you live, your lifestyle reveals whether you are living a righteous life or an unrighteous life. Because fruit don't lie. Fruit don't lie. Are you guys with me? Verses 3 through 6. A fool's talk brings a rod to his back. In other words, the foolish, or should I say this, the fool's uncontrolled many words hurt others who will eventually hurt the fool. But... Here's the contrast. The lips of the wise, love that, say wise, protect them. So the wise speaks with care. They're careful with their words. Their words save them. And because they're careful with the words, their words save them from many dangers. They're wise. Verse 4, where there are no oxen, the manger is empty. In other words, the trough is clean as a result as being unused. But, say but. From the strength of an ox come abundant harvest. 
The message renders it like this. No cattle, no crops. A good harvest requires a strong ox for the plow. So the wise farmer, the wise farmer knows that he needs oxen to plow the fields. He knows that. He needs that. And without them, he cannot produce crops. Are you guys with me? So, so to put this in perspective, in the ancient world, there was nothing that could rival the power of an ox. You guys with me? But the drawback of having oxen is that they're big, they eat a lot, they're stinky, and they're messy. As they eat at the trough, they're messy. They make a mess. And Solomon's point is this. Where there is work getting done, there are messes to be made. You guys with me? And I want to tell you, you see, if you want to get things done, if you want productivity, then you're going to have to be okay with a little mess. You have to be okay with rough edges. Yeah? You have to be okay with working with people who are messy. Because life is messy. Are you guys with me? And you're going to have to be okay with it or else you will, you will live and have a sterile, non-productive life, non-productive business, non-productive career, non-productive ministry where there's no increase and no profit. And as I was studying this, I was thinking about ministry and the fact that we're people. We're not perfect. And we're going to make messes as we go along. Things aren't going to be perfect, right? Things get messy because we're people. And I want to say this. The church is not a society of perfect people. Rather, it's a society of redeemed people who express their spirituality through imperfect personalities. Right? So it's okay if things are not perfect here. And we're not talking about being sinful and messing up like that. We're just talking about sometimes things don't get done the way we want them to get done. And that's okay, right? I'd rather have a little messy church where things get done than have a clean church where nothing gets done. Are you guys with me? And that's Solomon's point. Verse 5, a truthful witness does not deceive. So here we have a court setting. A court setting. This command has been forgotten in our courtrooms, hasn't it? And you know, a testimony is more apt, I believe this, a testimony is more apt to be true if the person testifying fears God and fears God's commands. He says, but a false witness pours out lies. So this person might, might say nice things. This person might, might be very clear, might come across like they're telling the truth. However, this person's words are downright lies. And that's Solomon's point. They're lies. Verse 6, the mocker seeks wisdom. Say wisdom and finds none. So we know this about the mocker, the scoffer, right? The mocker, the scoffer is one who sneers or laughs at knowledge instead of learning from it. One who lacks interest in the wisdom of God. And you see, this person, this, this mocker, the scoffer, may recognize the value of wisdom. They may recognize it, but doesn't have the teachability to succeed. They're unteachable. But, say but, knowledge comes easily to the discerning. Now, I love that. You should underline that, highlight that. But knowledge, say knowledge, comes easily to the discerning. Now, say knowledge. Because back in chapter 1, back in chapter 1 of Proverbs, verse 7, it says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. The what? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. 
So the person who respects, reveres God and submits to his truth gains knowledge. Gains knowledge. They look to God and his word for knowledge. To God's word for knowledge instead of themselves, or like the scoffer looks at himself or herself. Verses 7 through 9. Stay away from a foolish man, for you will not find knowledge on his lips. The message says it like this. Escape quickly from the company of fools. They are a waste of your time. A waste of your words. Now this could imply two things. I want you to follow me here, okay? The first thing is this. It could imply this. Don't waste your time with someone who refuses to take good advice. How many times have you spent time with someone who says, I want to sit with you and I need your advice. I need your advice. And you sit with them for hours and hours, days and days, and you give them advice from God's word, and then they do the exact opposite of what you told them to do. Huh? You know what? People like that, they don't want wisdom. They want permission. They want, they're looking for agreement. Are you guys with me? And in fact, every Sunday, as we bring forth God's word, there are folks in the church, here in the church, right, who will hear good advice from God's word, right? But there are some who will walk out and do the exact opposite of what they heard because they want permission and agreement, not good advice. Are you guys with me? So it could imply that don't waste your time with someone who refuses to take good advice the second thing it could imply is to avoid a conversation with a person who you know has absolutely no interest in hearing the gospel. Okay? They don't want, to, they don't want an answer. They, they, don't, they, don't want, they don't want an answer. What they want is they want to argue. And so I, I've, I've encountered folks like that where you say, dude, you're not even interested in this. Just, just walk away. I mean, just do that, right? You're wasting your time. Don't cast pearls to the swine. So those are two things that I think they can apply those two things in that verse. Verse 8, the wisdom of the prudent is to give thought to their ways. Now, the New Living Translation renders it like this. The wise look ahead to see what's coming. I like that. The wise, say the wise, Look ahead to see what's coming. They think about the consequences. Now, when we say the word prudent, it's the same word for discernment, being discerning. So they think about the consequences of their actions and what they do, the prudent, the discerning, they look down the road to see how their actions and their words play out. You guys with me? In other words, they want to go where God leads them. They're discerning. But the folly of fools is deception. In other words, they live a life of self-deceit. Now, I want you to hear me here, friends. Listen, you can get so good at deceit. Really, we can. We can get so good at deceit that we could deceive ourselves. And you know what? You start believing your own lies, and you become a victim to your own deceit. <laughs> wow, you guys with me? Verse 9, fools mock at making amends for sin. Now, the King James renders it like this. Fools make a mock at sin. They laugh at sin. They treat it lightly. They think it's laughable to seek forgiveness for sin. Don't we see that in the world today? They mock at sin. They call evil good and good evil. Now, I want you to get this, and please get this. Making light of sin 
insults Jesus. I'm going to say it again. Making light of sin insults Jesus. Why? Because he paid the ultimate price to redeem sinners. Solomon says, but goodwill slash favor is found among the upright. There's that word again, say upright. In other words, the upright, they don't make a mock of sin, nor treat it lightly, nor make excuses for it, nor rejoice in the sins of others. Therefore, listen now, the upright, they are acceptable, pleasing to God. That's favor. Where God says they're acceptable and pleasing to me. That's favor. You guys with me? So there you have the wise and the foolish. And you see the contrast there. Number two, here we go, is appearances. Say that. Write that down, appearances. And here's Solomon, what he does, and I love this, he exhorts us not to be taken in by appearances. Verse 10. Each heart knows its own bitterness, and no one else can share its joy. Interesting verse here. What it's saying is, when it really comes down to it, now listen, listen, friends. When it really comes down to it, we really don't know, we really don't, we really don't fully know what people are going through when it comes to their sorrows and joys. Are you with me? Now, our efforts are kind, our efforts are good, and that's a good thing, but we cannot really fully understand their feelings. Only God can. Only God can. He really knows the true feelings of the heart, because he's God. Okay? Now, that being said, when someone shares with you the pain and the suffering and the hardship that they're going through, try your best. Please hear my heart here. Try your best not to say, I know how you feel. Or, listen, Christians, or begin to quote Scripture. Listen, listen. The best thing we can do for someone who's going through a tough, painful time is just to hold them and cry with them. Are you with me? Now, though we can never fully experience another person's sorrow or joy, we can, as Romans 12, 15 says, rejoice with those who rejoice and what? Weep or mourn with those who mourn or weep with those who weep. So I would say this, that when you know someone who's going through it, right, going through it, just hold them and cry with them. And then hold them and cry with them. And then, down the line, begin to quote Scripture and encourage them through the Word of God. But right then, they just need you to hold them. They need care. They need love. Right? And the Word's powerful. I get that. And that comes in time, but Sometimes we can get overly spiritual, and sometimes people just say, I just want to be held. And that's the truth, isn't it? Verses 11 to 13, the house of the wicked will be destroyed, but the tent of the upright will flourish. So the house of the wicked that they build and beautify and love as a lasting home, he says, will perish. On the other hand, the righteous build only a tent, say tent, on earth, which identifies them as what? As pilgrims just passing through. And this tent is more secure and the hopes are, that are built on it are more lasting, say lasting, because it continues on into everlasting life. Life. Verse 12, this is, there is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to death. Now this is verses we can spend all day here. This is its message in its own, right? And it, there is a way that seems right to man, but in the end, what? It leads to what? So a person, listen, a person can rationalize 
the course and rationalize the way that they have chosen, even though it will lead them to ruin, even to, to death. How many times have you heard folks say, well, you know what, I'm a good person. You know, I've done some charitable things, so I'm good. Have you heard this? All roads lead to heaven. Not true. And, and they're con they convince themselves that they're okay. Right? And this way seems right to them. It does. Sadly, in the end, it leads to death. Verse 13, even in laughter, the heart may ache and joy may end in grief. In other words, appearances can be deceiving. Some of the funniest, funniest comedians are some of the saddest people. Right? Those who laugh on the outside might be in deep pain in their heart, and that's, that's with us as well. There, how, how, there have been times, listen now, we put on a smile, and we're acting all happy, but we know deep down inside our hearts we're hurting. Right? Even in laughter, the heart may ache, and joy, say joy, may end in grief. And I think about funerals. As, as you go and attend funerals, I've, I've done many funerals, people are, are sad, but then they share a funny moment of the person who's gone, and people laugh, but there's still sadness in their heart that they're gone. Right? That's Solomon's point. The wise and the foolish, number two, appearances, number three, we're going to spend most of the time here, is contrasting behaviors. Say that. Contrasting behaviors. We're going to look at verses 14 through 15. The faithless, the King James says backslider, will be fully repaid for their ways, and the good man, good woman, rewarded for their ways. So here's Solomon, what he does, he compares a good man, a good woman, with a, a man, a woman who turns away from God. So the basic contrast between the rewards for good and sinful behavior are apparent. It's very, it's very self-explanatory there. 15, 15. A simple man, woman, believes anything. In other words, it's someone who is gullible, who believes anything, right? Everything they hear. And this person is unskilled in the use of sound judgment. But, say but, there's a contrast. I love this. A prudent, a discerning man, woman, gives thought to his or her steps. Now, this is a reoccurring, this is, this is reoccurring, right, a reoccurring proverb in this book. And the prudent, the discerning person checks out what's being said and who's saying what's being said. You guys with me? And, and this reminds me of the Bereans in Acts chapter 17, verse 11. In Acts chapter 17, verse 11, it says this, Now the Berean Jews, a Berean Jews, were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica. For they, the Bereans, received the message with great eagerness. Listen to what it says. And examined, say examined, the Scriptures every day to see if what Paul, talk about Paul here, what Paul said was true. So here's a lesson. You ready for the lesson? Be a Berean. Listen, Christians, please listen. You need to test what you hear. I'm amazed at believers who hear a preacher or a teacher or an evangelist or a minister say something and they just believe it rather than going to the Scriptures to make sure it's correct and making sure that's in context and not taking it out of context. This is why we need to know the Word. Are you guys with me? So we have the right and the obligation and responsibility to test the spirits, to test what's being said. This is Paul. 
And the Bereans say, I don't care who you are. We're going to test to see what you're saying is right. Amen? And I, I, listen, whatever I say up here on the pulpit, you go home and you test it. Make sure that what I'm saying through the Word of God is right. But I just see so many believers are so gullible, and they just, some guy says something just out of context, and they're like, oh, hallelujah, praise God. No, 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 not hallelujah, praise God. Go back and check the Word. Are you guys with me? Verses 16 through 19. A wise man fears the Lord. There's that word, there's the phrase again, fears the Lord and shuns evil. In other words, wisdom says run from sin. That's what wisdom says, run from sin. But a fool is hot-headed and reckless. They continue in their foolishness. And we're going to talk more about that next week. But we've, this has been a recurring theme in, in Proverbs, right? Verse 17, continue, a quick-tempered man, woman, does foolish things. So in a moment, this person becomes very angry and doesn't think about their actions. They, they don't really care about what happens with their word, what, what they say with their words. And a crafty man, in other words, one who devises evil schemes, is hated. Is what? Hated. In other words, those who manipulate or plot to take advantage of other people, they're not liked and never respected. Verse 18, a simple, the simple inherit, inherit folly. Why? Because they ignore or reject God's word. That's why. But, say but, the prudent discerning are crowded with knowledge. Crowned, be crowned with knowledge. So to the prudent person, the one who exercises discernment, okay, knowledge is like a crown on them. And what it does, it enables them to trust God instead of their own sinful impulses and gives them victory over temptations and them and gives them strength in the midst of their trials. Got it? Verse 19. Get this now. Evil men will bow down in the presence of the good and the wicked at the gates of the righteous. I'm going to read that again. Evil men will bow down in the presence of the good and the wicked at the gates of the righteous. Now, let's be honest. Okay, as we look at our world today, doesn't it seem like evil sits on the throne right now? I mean, look at our world. It, it seems like evil is sitting on the throne as king. So what is this saying? I believe this is saying that the final victory of good over evil is set forth. And the fulfillment of this is in the return of Christ to this earth. And you'll find that in Revelation chapter 19, verses 11 through 16, in the final judgment. But also you'll find that in Philippians chapter 2, verses 10 through 11, where every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Amen? Evil will bow down to the righteous one. Evil will acknowledge that Jesus Christ is king. Amen? Verses 20 to 23, the poor are shunned even by their neighbors, but the rich have many friends. Hmm. There are those who love rich people, right? Why? Because they want to benefit from their money. And there are those who shun poor people because they have nothing to give them. And that's here, this is Solomon. He's, he, this is an observation. This is what he sees. He's observing this, that he sees people that are, hey, they just want to hang around with rich people because they'll get something from them, and they don't want to hang around with poor people because the poor people have nothing to give them. Observation. Verse 21, he who despises his neighbor's sins. This attitude is sinful, friends. 
But, say but, blessed is he who is kind to the needy. God, listen, God is pleased with the generous. God is pleased with the kind. He is pleased with the merciful person. And God blesses those, say he blesses those. God blesses those who are kind to the poor. Verse 22. Do not those who plot evil go astray. So a person who plots evil deeds is like a traveler on the wrong road, a road that will lead to danger or perhaps even to hell. But those who plan, say plan, what is good, find love and faithfulness. So a person, friends, who makes a good plan is like a traveler on the right road, the right road, and their plan will achieve good things, love and faithfulness. So the bottom line is this, just do good. Just do good. Do the right thing. Right? Do good. Verse 23. All hard work brings a what? A profit. But mere talk leads only to poverty. I'm going to read that again, okay? You guys with me? All hard, say hard work. And Solomon talks a lot about hard work, about diligent, right? Hard work brings a profit. But mere talk leads only to poverty. Hey, words alone cannot achieve results. You talk all you want. It will not achieve results. Only work, hard work, can bring success. Diligent hard work. So here's the lesson. Ready? Talk is cheap. Say that. Talk is cheap. It is. Hey, get this. Better done is better than better said. Better done is better than better said. It is better, listen now, friends, to work than just sitting around talking. And there are people, let me tell you something now. You guys, you guys with me? There are people, people who talk about doing things for God and others who actually do things for God. Are you guys with me? So pay attention when someone, when people talk about, when talk a lot about all the things they're going to do and then pay attention to what they actually do or accomplish. Huh? Are you a talker or a doer? Huh? Because there's a lot of Christian folks, man, they can, they can talk the talk, man. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. I'm going to do this for God. And you see no results, nothing. Then you have those who say, I'm going to do this for God. And you see that they do things for God. Amen? Verses 24 to 30. The wealth of the wise is their crown. So a wise person who is diligent, diligent and hardworking can give generously to the needy and can use their wealth to serve God. But, say but. The folly of fools yields folly. In other words, engaging in foolish thinking just leads to more foolishness. Very self-explanatory. Verse 25. A truthful witness saves lives, but a false witness is deceitful. So we're back at the court setting again. Okay, we already covered that. But you know what? You could say a true testimony of the gospel produces salvation. It saves lives. And deceit doesn't save lives. Got it? Verse 26, he who fears the Lord has a secure fortress, love that, and for his children it will be a refuge. So the point made here is that the teaching and example of a God-fearing, of God, of a God-fearing parent influences the children to reverence God. Got it? 27, the fear of the Lord. Say the fear of the Lord. There's that phrase again, the fear of the Lord, respecting 
Reverencing him is a fountain of life. In other words, it results in refreshing and purpose in a refreshing, purposeful life. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life, turning a man, woman from the snares of death. In other words, fearing God, fearing God, respecting, revering God keeps you from drinking from other fountains that would harm you. Got it? Keeps you from drinking from other fountains that would keep you from the right path. Got it? Verse 28, a large population is a king's glory. Now I want to say this, stop there. A king's power is normally revealed by the size of his empire, right? Right? But without subjects, a prince is ruined. Listen, people, people, people are a leader's greatest resource. They are. But a leader without people has no resources, right? Therefore, will experience ruin. Now, I want you to get this. Good leaders don't frustrate and chase away followers. I want to say this. Political leaders, spiritual leaders who abuse or fail to protect their people eventually have nothing to lead. Got it? Verse 29, a patient man has great understanding, but a quick-tempered man displays folly. We know that patience is good, right? It's good to be patient, right? And, and we, we, we know this already, right? We should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. And we know that a quick temper, what it does, it invites foolish actions and, and what, dangerous words. And, and those dangerous words, they, they, what they do is they give, us, they give people deep wounds, so a man has great understanding, but a patient man, excuse me, has great understanding, but a quick-tempered man, woman, displays folly. Verse 30, a heart at peace. In other words, a tranquil heart. I like this, a content heart. Say content. Don't forget that, content heart. This is a person who's it's trusting God, is trusting in God. Got it? A heart at peace, a tranquil heart, a content heart. When it's trusting in God, gives life to the body. Now, the ancients recognized the link between mental and spiritual tranquility and physical health. Now, friends, there, are, there is some kind of connection between the heart, right, the heart and the body between what goes on inside and what happens outside. Follow me. The attitude of the heart has a direct impact on the physical well-being or lack thereof, right? So if your heart is a heart, does it? If your heart is at peace, then what it does, it gives life to the body. True? Right? True? When your heart is at peace, when you're content and you're trusting in God, it gives life to the body because you're not worried or envying anyone else, right? You, you're content with what you have. But, he says, this envy rots the bones. An envious heart is a heart that's not content with what one has. And it looks at what others have and says, I want that. They're not content. I, I want that. And listen, that will rot the bones. That will rot your bones, friends. That will get, have a negative impact on your health and on your life. So you ready for the lesson? Here we go. Contentment. Say that. Contentment. Now listen, if you're safe, say amen. What you and I have is enough. You get that? What you and I have is enough. Right? Is God enough? 
Is God enough? What you and I have is enough, right? Now, I want you to write this down because I, I, I want to explain to you this passage here, Philippians chapter 4, verses 12 through 13. Philippians 4, 12 through 13. And Paul writes, I have learned, say learned, how to be, here we go, content in every situation. I am content, say content, whether I am hungry or full. I am content, say content, whether I have plenty or nothing. And then he says in verse 13, I can do all things through who? Christ who strengthens me. Now, in context, context is important, right? Contextually, right? In context, that verse is not about conquering things. Though we can conquer things in Jesus' name. I get that. But in context, it's not about conquering things. The context is about being content. Are you guys with me? And what Paul is saying, I can be content no matter what condition I'm in. Right? I've learned to be content. And what he's saying, in Christ, I can be content no matter where I am or what is going on in my life. Right? So understand the context. And we should live by that. Right? I can be content no matter where I am or what's going on in my life. That's contentment. Amen? Verse 31, he who oppresses the poor shows contempt for their maker. But, say but, whoever is kind to the needy honors God. When we love the poor people, when we love poor people, excuse me, when we love poor people, we love God. Matthew chapter 25, verses 34 through 45, I don't have time to get into that. But basically, Jesus says, whatever you did for one of the least of these, you did to me. Right? So if you really honor God, you'll have mercy on the poor. Verses 32 to 35, we're almost getting here. When, when calamity comes, the wicked are brought down. But even in death, the righteous have a refuge. You ought to say amen to that. I'm going to read it again. When calamity comes, the wicked are brought down. But, but say but. Even in death, say death, the righteous have a refuge. So we see here that Solomon is very clear that the destiny of the wicked and the destiny of the righteous, right? You can see the contrast there. If you're saved, say amen. We have confidence, say confidence, that God vindicates the righteous. And we have the hope, say hope, of being with Jesus for all of eternity. Man, that's good news. That is good news. Right? And it may seem like the, the wicked's getting over, but they're not. All right? They're not. God will vindicate us. Amen? And we have hope of being with Jesus for all of eternity. 33, wisdom reposes or rest in the heart of the discerning. So the wise person does not only think about wisdom occasionally, but always thinking about wisdom. Always thinking about wisdom. Always learning new things. They love wisdom. And that's why I love those who love the Word of God. Who dive in the Word of God because they love wisdom. It's always in their heart. It's always in the mind. Now wisdom is not just knowledge. It's putting that knowledge into practice. And, it's, he, Solomon says, even among fools she, set, she lets herself be known. Wisdom lets herself be known. The King James renders it like this. But that which is in the midst of fools is made known. In other words, a fool exposes their own foolishness. 
34. Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin, say sin, is a disgrace to any people. Listen, friends, what exalts any nation is more than their military skill or their economic stability. Okay, it's more than that. It's righteousness. Say righteousness. Now, if you read the Old Testament, in fact, the book of Judges, if you read that whole book, you'll notice that whenever Israel was seeking God, whenever they were walking with God, they were exalted. Right? But whenever they turned away from God, they were reproved. You see, I, I believe it would be a good thing if, if for this verse, verse 34, for this verse to be on every government building. Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a disgrace to any people. Verse 35, a king delights in a wise servant. And a what? A wise servant. But a shameful servant incurs his wrath. So what Solomon's saying is this, a wise worker, servant, brings honor to the king. Right? And is valued. The king values a wise servant. Rather, the incompetent one only gets in trouble. Incurs God's wrath. So as we wrap this up, Jesus is our king, right? I mean, is Jesus our king? He's our king. And as Christians, we are his servants. Okay? Now, Jesus doesn't need advisors. He's Jesus. But he wants wise servants. So we got to ask ourselves, am I a wise servant? Am I one that God looks down and says, you're a wise servant, he values the fact that I'm a wise servant? I mean, he's our king. We're servants, but are we wise servants? Are you a wise servant? Because wise servants live in wisdom. It's that simple. If you want to be a wise servant, then live in wisdom. Know God's word and apply God's word to your life. Walking in wisdom, knowing the king, and knowing that we walk in wisdom, the king looks down and says, that's my boy, that's my girl. Because he sees us living and walking as wise servants. Amen? Praise him, he is worthy. Amen? Let's all stand.